0: Pastor would call me and ask me to do it. I was hoping he would have called Grampy. I know everybody, Brother Helmuth, it's my Grampy. He'll always be my Grampy no matter where I'm at. But I was, I was hoping he would have called him because I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing him preach again. It's The person I grew up listening to preach is one of my favorites, always will be one of my favorites. And even more now, I have a, a better appreciation and understanding of his ministry. And I'm so blessed for that. Uh, Gavin was texting me said, man, you got the best hype man ever with Grampy. I said, I know, but there's there's no one better to follow and no one harder to follow either. So it's a it's a blessing and a curse. It's hard to follow up Grampy. Amen. Sister Slavings, they did save me some of that pie and it was fantastic. Just a little sliver, but they saved it for me. They almost ate it all. I'm glad they left me a little bit, but it was fantastic. Thank you. I wanted to make sure I said thank you. If we could turn into the book of luke tonight uh this morning sorry uh chapter 19 wait for a second i've still i don't know i guess sunday night services from a long time ago still getting the habit of that every once in a while so in luke 19 verse 1 it says and jesus entered and passed through jericho and beheld there was a man named zacchaeus which was a chief among the publicans and he was rich the publicans are tax collectors right so he was a rich tax collector Makes sense, And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. He was short. And he ran before, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste, and come down, for today I must abide at your house. And he hurried up and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I've taken anything from any man. By false accusation, I restore him fourfold. So if they overtaxed him, they gave him tax return, right? Our favorite time of the year is tax time, when the taxes come back. He said he gave it back to him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation. Come to this house for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. We jump to Psalms 139 and 14 that says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. You may be seated this morning. So before I get started, I want to say, is anyone in here lucky enough to be married to a wonderful woman, or is it just me? Everybody? Gavin didn't raise his hand very fast. Okay. All right, so until my sister hit him, then he raised it. But one thing I started to notice about a good woman is how pushy they can be. Anybody else? Dad, can I get amen? (laughs) Uh, You know, they start pushing to work more, to be more, to do more around the house, all that. And if I stand too close to the stairs, she tries to push me down them. But and I'll just play. But one thing I also notice about my wife is that she loves to go shopping. She's staring me down. I'm getting a little nervous. I might skip a few pages. She loves to have nice things, which which I like too, right? And sometimes I get to like things that I never even knew existed. And some things I've even seen come into the house and then I see them as soon as I get there and I never see them again. She takes them out of the bag and they just disappear. I don't know where they go. It's gotten so bad that even our kid Emmett, he loves to go to the stores. He loves to have toys, like most kids, but I've never seen a kid uh, identify a, a store by their color. So he'll say, I want to go to the red store, He say, which is Target. I want to go to the blue store, which is Walmart. I want to go to the yellow, yellow store, Dollar General. right? But the worst one, I would have to say, is definitely Target. Target, if you've never been, I'm sure most of you had, have, but they have everything you could ever imagine in there. They have groceries, to clothes, to baby things, to food, for stuff for your beard. And I heard, hopefully, I'm praying they get something where, for guys to sit and hang out while their wives shop. Amen. They even have a Starbucks in there, so it's, you can't, it seems like you can't go in there and not spend $500. No. But I know that if I ever go down to Mishawaka, for no matter whatever it is, I'm going to end up at Target. I'm going to end up at the Red Store. No matter what it is, if we're going down there to get something to eat, I know we're going to the Red Store. If we got to get groceries, I know we're going to go get groceries, but we're not going to get groceries at the Red Store. We're going to get groceries, then we're going to go to the Red Store. I know that. It's just part of my life now. I've come to accept it, and I don't even fight it anymore. Sometimes I won't even look in that direction, Hopefully, hoping she will forget, but they never do. So. There's one other store that I will say that we're at quite a bit. It doesn't have a color, so I couldn't add it to my illustration, but it's TJ Maxx. TJ Maxx is, guys, if you've ever been, ladies, I'm not going to include you because I'm sure you have been there. This store works some things out where everything's on sale. The entire store is on sale 100% of the time, right? Right. Uh, And some things I hear about this store is, one is everything is on sale, two, I got a good deal, three, you should see what it costs at the other store, and four, the worst is it's for Emmett, because she knows I will spoil him more than anyone else. If he wants something, if he has asked for any, uh, asked for something from someone else, I know I'll try to go get it before they can, just because I want to spoil him and I like to be his favorite. But if you look at the tags at TJ Maxx, on the tags it'll say their price, $80. Our price, $20. And my argument is, well, if you don't spend any, you still keep that $20 anyway, so it's not. But they have a good marketing tool. It's very good. It's very well uh, put. But how do they do that? How can they afford to sell everything cheaper than everywhere else? Because it's the same stuff at the other stores but they sell it cheaper so being the dork I am I actually researched it and kind of tried to figure out how they can do that and still be profitable So what they do is uh, when department stores make big orders they buy the overstock or they'll buy depart they'll buy orders that department stores canceled like if they said okay I need hundred shirts well I don't need those anymore I've canceled the order so now they have to sell them that discount. So then they go buy that and sell it, or they'll buy from last season. So clothes that used to be in from all the people that are into fashion say they look nice last year, but this year they're ugly. I don't know how that works, but they'll buy those and they'll sell it for a big discount, which I do love the discounts, I do love the sales. But this store gets all the things that nobody else wants. All the things that are not good enough to be in the department stores, the malls, the, uh, the targets. Amen. They don't feel like they, be, they don't belong there, so they go to a hand-me-down store or a TJ Maxx. And I know that if you were to look at it, sometimes we can feel like that. That we're kind of left out. That sometimes we feel like an extra, like somebody made a big purchase order, and we're just kind of the, the leftovers and then we start to get down on ourselves we start to look at ourselves as maybe we need to compromise who we are a little bit to fit in maybe we need to go twenty percent off maybe we need to just give up on some of our convictions because we're too expensive and but we're last year's model we're no longer relevant so we need to change who we are they looked at Zacchaeus and they knew he was a sinner right away, and I don't know why they knew he was a sinner. Maybe because he was short, and for some reason, short people are sinners. I don't know, but immediately they knew he was a sinner, but he also was the chief, uh, chief of what position he had, but when it came to it, even though I think maybe it would be smart to be friends with the people that were taking your money so they would take less of it, they didn't care about him. They kept him in the back, they didn't let him see Jesus, so he had to find a way to get to Jesus. They didn't care about his problems because it wasn't their problem. So he climbed a tree and got up there, but it seems like Zacchaeus knew who Jesus was. Because if I see a bunch of people there, my first instinct is not let me go climb a tree and see who it is, but if I knew somebody that I really wanted to see was there, I would probably do that like if he knew it was jesus he knew the reputation that jesus had so he made the effort the extra effort to see who who was there and see that it was jesus i have a hard time believing that if Zacchaeus was a normal-sized person or even a taller person that just could look in the crowd and see over the crowd that jesus would have noticed him he made him like that He made him short because he knew that he would climb into the tree and he would be noticed i picture uh i picture him to be about five foot tall but as someone that would be only five foot tall like my wife and uh i've seen her have to climb on the kitchen counter to reach things off the top shelf off the top cupboard i imagine him when he goes to a grocery store that he has to ask somebody for help to get something on the top shelf at the grocery store. I'm sure, as a guy, that's not what he would have picked for himself, was to to have to ask other people to do things for him, to make the extra effort to see Jesus. You know, I have short friends, and uh, we pick on each other from time to time, and they'll get me pretty good, they'll say a joke, and I don't have any response. The only response I can come back is, at least I'm not short. So I'm sure he heard all the short jokes. I'm sure people picked on him too from being short. But I do believe he had a reputation. The Bible said he was a chief publican. He had status that went past the city that he was in. Because the people walking with Jesus knew he was a sinner. And I don't think it was just because he was short, but I think because his reputation preceded him as well. So they knew he was a sinner. As soon as he got down from the the tree, it doesn't say anything else, Except for, great, we're going to eat with the sinner. That's all they said. That's all they started saying to themselves. Why are we going to the sinner's house? So they knew who he was, and he knew who they were. I believe he knew the story of the rich man that was perfect in everything that he did, right? There's a story of the rich man in the Bible, a young ruler that followed the laws from his youth. And he had money, and he went to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And he said, you must sell all that you have and follow me. And the young ruler went away sad because he couldn't do that. But Zacchaeus, his mindset was different. He knew that he couldn't keep the laws perfect. He knew that he messed up. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he had fallen short of the glory of God. He knew that he would be looked down upon by the people that were following God. He knew that he didn't fit in with them. But I think he knew the heart of Jesus more than the disciples. I think he knew that Jesus cared more about the perfection, he cared more about the effort than the perfection. He cared more about the sacrifice and the obedience than living a perfect life because we all are imperfect. He knew that everything that he had was not his. Yes, he knew that he was a tax collector, he knew that he was grabbing other people's money for the the government, but he knew that Any money that he took for himself, he gave fifty percent of it away immediately to somebody else that needed it. He knew that if he ever wronged somebody on accident, he said he never did it on purpose, on accident he would give back four times of what he took from them. He knew that it was more about the effort and the obedience than it was the perfection. He knew that he couldn't live up to that, that status. He knew that he couldn't be perfect and follow all the laws. And Jesus knew that he couldn't either. See, I believe he could have bought a high status with all the money that he was bringing. Because money usually brings power. So I believe in that position of power and all that money that he had coming in, he probably could have made it look and have the appearance that he was a righteous person. He probably could have gave the right people the right things and paid off the right people where people would have said and sung his praises instead of saying he was a sinner. But since he gave away everything that he had, people just looked at him down right away. But he used it for the purpose that Jesus came for. See, I think like Jesus, he had a heart like him. Because every time that Jesus comes in touch with somebody, they leave with more than what they deserve. There's never a time that I've had an encounter with Jesus or I know someone that had an encounter with Jesus. They didn't get more than what they deserved. We always get more than than what we deserve when we have an interaction with Jesus. In verse five, it says, Jesus look up and saw him and said, I must abide in your house like Jesus needed him. And he jumped down the tree fast and received him joyfully. In verse nine, it says, this day is salvation come to this house. And ten, it says, for I have come to seek and to save, which is lost. He's saying, right. You are right where you are for a reason. You are short for a reason. You have imperfections for a reason. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. See, this: the store TJ Maxx doesn't only get the extras or the mess-ups or the old stuff. They also have things specifically made for them that they can sell at a discount. God has made us for a reason. God has us in a positions for a reason. Everyone wants to be wants life to be easy, everyone wants life to be perfect, everyone wants peace, God doesn't promise easy. He doesn't promise that things are not going to be hard. He promises though what you go through, you will get through. He promises that at the end of the trial, you will have a testimony. The Bible says that in Revelations 12 and 11, it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the words of their testimony, and they loved their, love not their lives unto death. In this scripture, a lot of times we we start and stop in the middle of. It, it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and we usually stop right there. But the scripture and a little bit of a backstory is talking about a war in heaven, where the angels are fighting. The devil. They're putting everything on the line to cast out the devil. And then the last part of that scripture, I believe it means that the testimony a lot of times comes when you're at your lowest point. Is that at one point you have to not love your own life anymore. And I don't mean that as you have to become suicidal, but I mean that as you have to get rid of the plans that you have in your life. That when you go through your tests, when you go through your trial, when you go through your hardships, that you have to realize that it's not just to go through it, just to go through it. But it's that God is trying to change your direction or God is trying to change something in your life and that you need to start letting go of your own plans, your own hopes, your own dreams, your own life will and give it to God. And then that's when your testimony comes out. That's when his story starts becoming played out a few days ago I looked at my mom and I said who would have predicted this is how our life would have turned out? Who would have thought that this is how our journey would go? And we were talking as neither one of us kind of anticipated this, we just kind of, I mean we both love it and my journey hasn't been what I thought it would be. My life has taken twists and turns, I have good days, I have bad days, I have joy, I have sadness. But I can honestly stand here and say that God has blessed me more than I deserve. And I have so many reasons to rejoice in everything he has given me. And I'm thankful that the journey isn't how I wrote it, but how he wrote it and how he owns the rights to it. I'm thankful that my life didn't turn out the way that I predicted. I'm thankful that, you know, God took me through some, th- through some things. I'm thankful that God's will is still being played out in my life. And even when I made the wrong decisions, even when I went the way I wasn't supposed to, that God still carried me, still cared about me, and his love was still wrapped around me and is still leading me on his path. And I am so far from where I believe God wants me to end up. I believe we all are. I, re- I remember growing up thinking that every preacher that ever preached was perfect behind the pulpit. I don't know if that was because my parents and grandparents did such a great job of not letting us be exposed to that stuff, they let the innocence of the pulpit, they let the innocence of being a kid, which I think is so amazing and wonderful that I got to just look at people that preach and think they're perfect. And that's not the case. That's not the case at all that even the people that get up here and preach, they're they're trying their best but they fall. They stumble. They're like everybody else in the pews. And it's so—it's such a difference now that I'm older and I realize things that just because you're not where you want to be doesn't mean you're not where you should be. And that God is working on you in every stage of your life that God can use you. No matter if you feel like you're a finished product or you're still a work in progress, God can use you in whatever spot you are in your life, whatever walk you're at in your life, wherever you're at in that walk with God, God can use you, and He will use you. He has you there for a reason, right where you are right now in your walk with God. He has you there for a reason. In uh, chap uh, excuse me, in chapter nineteen of in chapter nineteen of Luke, verse eleven, it says, "And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable." Because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and he became, and because they thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, Therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far kingdom to receive himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and he sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound had gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good faith thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, and have thou authority over ten cities. And the second one came, saying, Give him five pounds, and he and he said likewise to him, also other also over five cities, excuse me. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin, for I have feared thee, because thou art an a steward man, thou takest up that thou had laidest down, and reapest that thou didst sow, did not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. So he, it's a story that most of us are familiar with, that God gave everybody a gift. And he wanted them to multiply that gift. He wanted them to do something with that gift. And the small person, the one he gave a little bit to, they gave it ten times back. So he gave them the rain over ten cities. And then the one he he gave five back, he gave over five cities. And the one that buried it did nothing with it. He cast them out. God doesn't care about how much you have. God doesn't care about what little you think that you have. God only cares about what you're willing to do with what you have. God cares about you being able to say, okay, God, you gave me this gift. You gave me this little bit. I'm going to multiply it. I'm going to do whatever I can for you. Last Sunday, Grampy gave us the charge to do something with Jesus in mind. And he talked about it this this morning. He said, you know that was whether it was a smile or opening a door see it doesn't take a whole lot to be kingdom minded it just takes an action focused on Jesus it says i'm not i'm going to do this not because it's chivalrous but because i want to be kingdom minded and that's all it takes it doesn't take a 45 minute message to be preached from the pulpit to witness to somebody it usually the service on a sunday or wednesday is the last thing That has an impact on people's lives it's the day-to-day life we live that has the biggest impact on people because nobody's going to care what you have to say to them on a sunday or a wednesday if you're mean to them all week nobody's going to care what happens or what is being preached from the pulpit if when you say this is where i go to church but you're mean you don't have to be a preacher to witness to somebody. You don't have to be somebody that gets behind the pulpit or stands up here and sings or plays the drums or an usher. You don't have to do that to witness to somebody. I think Brother Mark has brought, I want to say, like 20 or 30 people here, and I don't, I don't ever remember seeing him up here preach. But he's a witness to somebody all the time, and I love it. And I love seeing his family here, and it's just one of the most amazing things ever. We need to be kingdom-minded. We need to, everything that we do needs to be kingdom-minded. Kingdom we like to claim that we live in a Christian nation, and sometimes lately it seems hard to see or believe in that in today's age. And I think one of the biggest reasons is because our church and our nation has turned their back on the people of God. I believe the probably the most famous symbol in the US is the Statue of Liberty. And again, I'm a dork, so I researched it. And uh, the Statue of Liberty, the statue that is recognized around the world as freedom, was, it began to be built in 1885 and was finished in 1886. Most of us would have no idea who constructed it or who built it. It was Gustav Eiffel, the same man that built the Eiffel Tower. Uh, in the left hand, of the statue is a book that is 23 feet uh, wide and seven inches and then 13 feet and seven inches wide 23 feet tall and 13 feet wide and on it it says July 4th 1776 in Roman numerals and then at the bottom there's a broken chain and at the base of this statue is a symbol of li- uh, liberation and freedom uh, from slavery but at the bottom of it there was a plaque And when the French sent it over, they didn't have anything wrote on the plaque. And I kind of believe that the French sent it over empty so they could say thanks to the French, you know, saying that, wow, we're so grateful that they made this awesome statue for us. But as Americans do, we have our own uh, interpretation of what they wanted to do with it, so we wrote what liberty meant to us. We wrote what that statue meant to us. It says, give me your tired your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. So that's what freedom meant to America in the early 1900s, when that was wrote on that plaque, was to give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. And I believe at that time in our nation, was one of the most Christian we have ever been because that sounds a lot like what Jesus said he came to do. He said, I want to save the lost. He said, I don't want to save the ones that have, that have everything going on that don't need me. I'm coming for the ones that need me. Just like the people that came here needed America for the freedom, he came for the same ones that needed their freedom. And I don't, I'm not trying to be political, but it's, and I think at that point in America, we had the most patriotic nation where people were joining the world to fight world wars for the freedom of America, for the American dream. freedom. See, our church has become a lot like America now, and I believe I am just as guilty as anyone else. We only want certain type of lost in the church. We only want the lost that won't make us uncomfortable. We want the lost that hasn't taken advantage of us. We want the lost that is already close to being found. We don't want the loss that is so far out there that it makes us feel weird when they walk into church. We don't want the lost... That we have to work for. Sometimes it's just we want to just have easy lost people that, man, they're so close. They have a good family. They come from a good family anyways. Just let them come to church, and they're already saved. They just need to walk in, and they're saved. They just need to know who Jesus is, and they're saved immediately. But we have to change our mindset, not, not only about how we reach the lost, but how we receive the lost. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter what their background is. That when they step into this church, that they're a child of God, they're looking for the same thing that we're looking for. Because none of us are perfect, and every Sunday, I believe, we can find something to repent for from throughout the week. Every one of us needs to be saved by grace. Every one of us needs Jesus every day of our lives. Not just Sundays, not just Sundays, and not just Wednesdays. We all need Jesus, just like everybody else. We're no different than anybody else. Jesus had 12 disciples that followed him everywhere. I think they were his closest friends, and they were even maybe considered his church. They were always with him. And I don't think we could find a better leader and preacher in history like Jesus. Amen? I think that's what we all strive to be like. But out of the 12 that Jesus had follow him, one was like Satan and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Ten more abandoned him, When he needed him most and only one showed up when jesus needed him at the foot of calvary at the foot of calvary jesus had one disciple show up and that was the beloved john if the musicians could come today i'm wrapping up i'm coming to a close we're definitely going to beat everybody to the restaurants today But when Jesus needed them the most, the best preacher in the world, the best teacher in the world, when he needed his congregation, when he needed his followers the most, there was none to be found. And all these people did did great things. All these people were amazing. But it it just kind of showed me how close we are to falling away. It shows me we're one trial away from failing. We're one trial away from not being who we thought we were. We're one trial away from our ministry being derailed. We can, we're, sometimes we're just one trial away, and we don't realize it until we get to that trial, how close we are to failing. But unlike Judas, 11, of the other ten they came back and they still did great things for God, they, they know they messed up, they realize they messed up, they know they should have been there. But they still, they came back. They didn't let their failure be the end. In John 8, we look at a, another familiar passage. And, and I'm sorry if I sound like a cliche preacher this morning. I didn't, I didn't want to be revolutionary. I just wanted to come here to maybe give us a resolution in a few minutes. In John eight it says Jesus went unto the mountains of olives and he early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them and they were at church early they were early Sunday morning they were at church and the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery and when they said when they had set her in the midst they say unto him Master this woman was taken in adultery in the very act so they're at church. To set the scene a little bit. They're at church. They're, he's teaching a lesson, not probably a lot better than what I'm doing. And all of a sudden the doors bust open and they throw a woman that they just caught in adultery. I doubt they let her have time to get dressed. I doubt they let her have time to make herself presentable before she went in front of Jesus. They grabbed her and they threw her. We caught her in the act. We caught her. She's a sinner. And under the law of Moses, in verse 5, it says, it commands us that they, that she should be stoned. But what do you say? So in the middle of his preaching, in the middle of his teaching, they come in demanding that he stone her. This, they said, tempting him that they just might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger... He rode on the ground and heard them not. So they continued while he was ignoring them. They continued, they kept pressing him. So when they continued to ask him, he lifted up himself and he said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and he started writing in the ground again. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, Went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those that are accusing you? Hath no man condemned you? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Nearly do I condemn you go and sin no more. If we could all stand this morning, see these religious people, these people that thought they were all that these people that could do no wrong and, and never would do anything wrong. They found this woman in the midst of her, her adultery. They were so proud of themselves. I could see it with their smug arrogance like they had been watching her. They knew that she was what she was doing. And they waited till everybody was at church and they caught her sinning. And they yanked her to the house, they yanked her out of that house and they brought her to where Jesus was standing and they started quoting the loss to him like he didn't know. And I could imagine the commotion. Imagine on a Sunday morning half of the church was gone because that's who was going to get it was the church people. Imagine half the church was gone. And pastor was up here preaching, and they just brought in this woman that was in the middle of sinning. Imagine if somebody caught you in the middle of your iniquities. Imagine if somebody caught you in the middle of your sin. And they grabbed you right in the middle of it. They grabbed you said, we're going to church. I'm throwing you at the foot of judgment. I caught you stealing, sir. I caught you lying, ma'am. I caught you... I I caught you eating too much, I, I caught you, I caught you killing somebody, whatever your sin is, hopefully it's not murder, whatever your sin is, I caught you in the act. I caught you doing it and I'm taking you to the foot of judgment. I'm taking you to where you're going to be judged by God, I'm taking you to where they can see what you did. We know what you did. We have the nail in the coffin. Your your case is closed. You're convicted. There's no way anybody can argue this. He has to condemn you at this point. But what they didn't understand was God made her that way. God let her be that person. You say, why would God do that? Why would God have his fingerprint in that because he knew that these church people would find her and bring him to his feet he knew that these church people were so righteous and so mighty that they would get him get her and throw her at the feet of judgment but what they didn't understand was they didn't bring her to the feet of judgment they brought her to the throne of grace and he said if you are perfect cast the stone be my guest and go ahead get her Do what you have to do. If you are here today and you don't think you can get grace, you think you've gone too far, you think you've done too much, I want you to understand God has his fingerprint in your life right now. God has you fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you are doing wrong. Yes, you aren't right in the way you're living. We understand that. We get that, but we don't care. You're wrong under the law. You're, you're not living at the, what the Bible says. But here's what grace says. Grace says, where are your accusers? Look up. Where are your accusers? I don't see them anymore. They left. Grace says, I don't condemn you. Grace says, yes, you were wrong, but now you get to go live right. Yes, you messed up, but now you can sin no more. Yes, you were in trouble. Yes, you were lost, but now you are found. That's what grace says. That's what the throne of grace says. So I think as a church, I think we should all come down to this altar this morning as a church body. And let's come to the throne of grace. We're not coming to the throne of judgment today. We're not getting thrown at the feet of judgment. But today as we come to this altar, we're coming to the throne of grace. That we can take our problems to the Lord. We can take our sins to the Lord. And his response will be... Nobody's here to condemn you. Go and sin no more. Amen. Come to the altar today. Let's let's worship the Lord today.